If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another expert episode of the podcast. Today we have a repeat guest. If you are someone that has listened to all the episodes of this show, you'll remember Kate Anthony's interview on divorce. She was actually one of the first people I I interviewed about the topic of divorce, but she is back here to promote her new book, which comes out today, The D Word, Making the Ultimate Decision About Your Marriage. She is also the host of the critically acclaimed and New York Times recommended podcast, The Divorce Survival Guide podcast, and the creator of the groundbreaking online coaching program, Should I Stay or Should I Go?, which helps women make the most difficult decision of their lives using coaching tools, relationship education, geeky neuroscience, community support, and deep self-work. Kate is certified as a domestic violence advocate, a co-parenting specialist, and a high-conflict divorce coach, so she really does it all. I highly recommend grabbing her book today. You can head to the link in the show notes to head to her website and see where you can buy it, or you can just head straight to Amazon to purchase. But Kate and I talk about, we talk about divorce, and Kate's work is centered on women and women leaving heterosexual relationships. So I just want to make that clear from the get. She also makes some some really important points later in the episode, but I want to make sure to touch on them here. But she's not a pro-divorce person. She is someone that has seen so many women staying in relationships that were not serving them and allowed them and kind of showed them the path of being able to really see that and eventually walk away from that. So she is pro-happy relationships. And we talk about why there are so many divorces happening now and why most of them are initiated by women. We talk about some of the things that are completely normal to experience once you have made the ultimate decision to walk away from your marriage. And we talk a lot about why the grass isn't always greener on the other side. I know a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, all they want is a marriage. And we don't realize that it's so much more than that. And it's not just about that having that title. So it's always so fun talking to Kate. Feels like a friend. And, and yeah, go out and get her book. And we've made it through Christmas Day. So... I know the holidays can be tough, so hang in there. New Year's Eve is coming soon, and then we will be back to regularly scheduled programming. We have a return guest on the podcast today. Today, I have Kate Anthony back back on the show to talk about her new book that comes out today. So Kate, congrats on book launch day, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so happy to see you again. Yes, I know. I know. This is a happy, very happy return guest. Yeah, it's been a while. And I feel like when I had you on previously, I honestly wasn't really talking that much about the topic of divorce. And I think that's honestly some like a little bit of naivete on my part. I think I, in my mind, all breakups were created equally in some ways. And since then, I've had quite a few guests on that to talk more about the actual topic of divorce and realizing like how much more goes into having to go through a divorce, which, you know, not to minimize any other breakup, but I mean, throwing in like 
the legal part. I mean, just so many things that like you really can't even deal with your emotions until you're done with like the logistic legal, all that kind of stuff that that happens. Yeah. And if you hadn't kids, really, like it's a different breakup because if you have kids, you can't go no contact. Mm -hmm. You have to continue to negotiate with this person. You have to continue to collaborate with them. You've got like literally the most important person in your entire life that you have to co-parent with possibly the person who's hurt you most in your life. Right. Yeah. And that's really hard. It's really hard. I mean, listen, my ex-husband and I have been on a very long and like crazy roller coaster over the last 14 years since we got divorced. And people are like, if you didn't have a kid, would you like still be in a, like ha- be friends with him? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, why would I do that? Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe, but no, probably not. But I've had to, you have to stick it out in a way that is different when you have kids together, you have to push up against some different edges. Yeah. Yeah. And like compartmentalize. I just think the emotional part is so, I mean, it's not something I've, you know, been through, but compartmentalizing those emotions of, okay, I have to be, first and foremost, I have to be a mom to my kids. Mm -hmm. I have to suit up and show up to all these proceedings and do all this stuff. And then at some point I have to process the fact that I just lost this relationship. Like that's so many things to be juggling all at once. Absolutely. Right. And like you literally could be going from mediation or your attorney's office or God help you court straight to parent teacher conferences. That's yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, there's a, a level of emotional regulation you don't have to have, but it would certainly behoove you (laughs) to have. And, you know, what's even more difficult is that you can only control yourself. You can only control whether you're going to be emotionally regulated and the other parent may not be. And then in the face of someone else's rage or vitriol or, you know, vengeance, you have an opportunity still continue to show up in a way that as I, as I talk about in my book, that keeps your side of the street really clean. Yeah. Right. There can be all sorts of stuff going on on the other side of the street. You there's like, like you say, like, you know, pig pen from peanuts, right. Just like the dust cloud over there, but you can still keep your sides clean. And that's one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. And, and you'll tire to take the high road. (laughs) Oh my God. It's exhausting. Especially when you know you're right. (laughs) Yeah. So when you set out to write this book, what were, what was like the big thing that you wanted to tackle when writing the D word? I love the name, by the way. It's so good. Thank you. So it's, you know, it's called the D word, making the ultimate decision about your marriage. And so, I mean, really what I wanted to do was help women break down. It's, it's written for women. And I wanted to help them break down all of the ways in which marriage, you know, figure out like, is it me? Is it him? Is it marriage in general in the, you know, 21st century? Is it like, what is it? And is it, are my feelings about this a good enough reason to go, right? Or am I Mm -hmm. just like screwed up and have unreasonable expectations or like, Right. And I think, you know, since the dawn of time, in particular, since, you know, the dawn of Western civilization, women have been socialized to believe their needs, their wants themselves, who they are is less important than the needs and wants of men. Mm -hmm. And so 69% of divorces are initiated by women. And most of them have been contemplating this for a good like five years. So, and yet like we're thinking about it and most of us are like, I don't deserve to be happy on the backs of the misery of the other people in my life. Right. You know, my, I'm going to screw up my kids or like he's, I don't want to hurt his feelings or right. I'm going to break his heart. So I'll stay in a soul crushing marriage and often an abusive marriage because I don't want to rock the boat. 
Yeah. You know? So I remember seeing that. I think I mentioned this on another episode where I was talking about divorce, but all of a sudden, sometimes I get like flooded with these by these really misogynistic, Mm -hmm. awful people on my comments. And they start saying like women initiate all the merit or all the divorces, like women are the reason Mm -hmm. relationships are falling apart. All, you know, all that bullshit. (laughs) We initiate the divorces for a reason. (laughs) We're not the ones ruining marriage. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't just (laughs) initiate divorce out of nowhere. What are the, would you say like the biggest root causes why people are walking away from Mm -hmm. marriages? So I think the biggest is, and this is chapter three of my book, which is that marriage benefits men and exhausts women. So Mm. there was a study that was done a number of years ago, and it was, they sort of took heterosexual people and they determined that married men are the happiest heterosexual people that there are. (laughs) Okay. Single women are the next happy. Interesting. Then single men and the least happy population group are married women. Wow. So you've got married men are the happiest and married women are the least happy. And I think that says a A lot. lot. Yeah. Right. So the way this whole thing was set up was to benefit men with our emotional labor, with our, you know, the 40 hour work week was created when men went to work and women stayed at home, right? We did the domestic labor as a full-time job. They did the go-to-work labor as a full-time job. Although the hours, you know, there's no such thing as a 40-hour work week when you're parenting and keeping a home, but I digress, Yeah, right? And so, but then when we entered the workforce, it wasn't like men said, oh, okay, then I guess I have to equally share the load of everything that goes on in the home. Women still do a tremendous amount more domestic labor. We go to therapy, we seek help for our issues. Men, you know, use us as our ther- as their therapists, you know, the statistics on, you know, the difference in the numbers of men versus women who are consuming personal development, who are who are going to therapy. It's staggering, right? And so women are exhausted. They're exhausted. And we're also waking up to the idea that, oh, wait a minute, actually, I don't have to do this. And women are recognizing, women are seeing their divorced friends and going, your life seems a lot better than mine. And it is, you know, frankly, if you're co-parenting and when you have your kids, you're 100% on, but you're only 100% on 50% of the time. So, you know, there's, you do get a break and and your break is like, like a couple days. Right. And so there's, you know, women are, they're exhausted and we are now as a culture naming these things. Yeah. We're naming them. We're giving them voices. We're, you know, TikTok and, and Instagram is like airing all this dirty laundry and women are going, you know what? I opt out, you know, and they're calling it the great divorce. Because we're opting out all over the place. Yeah. You know, even these amazing men, right? Like Justin Trudeau that we think is like the greatest thing in the world. Even his wife is like, "Eh, I'm good. I'm out. You know, and the part of that is systemic. As his wife, she doesn't have, she has no care. She can't work. She can't give a speech. Like everything is like, you know, and like, why would she do that? Why would she sign up for that? Yeah. I just got back from vacation visiting one of my siblings and my brother was making a comment like everyone's getting divorced here he's like I Uh swear it's contagious it makes sense to as Mm -hmm. to why that would be because it is you know it is still a very even in you know the world of 2023 like it's still a very scary thing I would assume to to have to come to terms with and initiate and all of that but if you know it's not like the if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? It's like obviously no. something that's very deep rooted and and something that has been thought about for a long time. But if you do see someone make that jump, it's much easier to do yourself. Totally. And, you know, often what happens is that people you would never think, right, that you're when you get divorced, you're holding up a mirror to everyone else's relationships. And they a lot of them don't want to look in that mirror and they freak out. One of the hardest things about divorce is recognizing that you're 
who you thought was going to be there for you is are not. And usually the ones that have like the weirdest reactions are the ones who are being the most confronted. And usually their marriages end within the next six to 12 months. And that's the contagion, right? Like you're holding up this mirror to them and they're like, oh. And for some people it's like, oh, wait, I can do that too. Oh, that looked okay. Okay. And for some, it's like, I don't want to look, I don't want to look, I don't want to look. And then it's like, you, you know, once you start to see it, you can't unsee it. But it is, you know, women are starting. And again, like 69% of divorces are initiated by women. We're tired. We're tired. And we're recognizing that we don't actually have to take this anymore. Yeah. You know, there's a cultural shift happening. Yeah. Even when you were talking about like the different terms, the new one that I I mean, I don't know if it's just because I'm in like the early motherhood stage, but this idea of like the mental load that women are carrying around, like that's been such a big thing of like, oh my God. Yeah. The things that we're having to think about that no one else in the family has to think about is well, it's, by it the is, way, crazy. right. But it's also not rocket science. The mental load is like you noticing that we have six diapers left. So I'm going to have to make sure I have enough, you know, before tonight so that tomorrow I'm not scrambling because I've, we've got this, you know, doctor's appointment in the morning. Whatever. You're not the only one who has a brain that can see that stuff. Yeah. Right. It's not rocket science. When you know that there's only a tiny bit of milk left in the fridge and you're going to need it, you know, milk for the morning or you're going to be really bummed, like you're not the only one. You don't have magic powers to see in the refrigerator that a man doesn't have. Yeah. It's just that they kind of, they are conditioned to believe that that's our job and that we'll do it. And we're conditioned to believe it's our job and we do it. Yeah. And that is the kind of stuff that has to stop. You know, what's really great is that, you know, they used to think that like men and women's brains work differently and that women were better multitaskers because Mm -hmm. like our brains were created to be able to like have those neural pathways. Well, it turns out we just have the neural pathways because they were laid by necessity right? Our brains weren't created differently. They've just become wired over time to be able, better able to do these things. But men are just as capable of having that wiring. They just have to do it. Yeah, that's a really good. So, I mean, I know, and we'll talk about it, like, and you had mentioned it, a lot of divorces are happening because of different forms of abuse within the marriage. But before getting into that, mm-hmm. there's this idea of like, what if your relationship is by all accounts good. And maybe the feelings just aren't there anymore. And I assume there's a lot of guilt in walking away from a quote unquote good relationship. And is that, is that a thing? Are people realize like, are people walking away from good relationships or are they just not recognizing that it's not good? Yeah. There's a lot of that, right? I think there are two things. I think overwhelmingly when a woman comes to me and says like, but he's fine. Or like, he's a really great dad, but you know, or he's a really good guy. When I dig into it a bit more, I learn things that I'm like, okay, honey, we have to actually now redefine what a good guy is because Mm -hmm. that's what you're describing is not right. People say he's a great dad. He just cheats on me. Yeah. Well, Those two things cannot coexist. A great dad doesn't destabilize the foundation of the family by disrespecting his wife. Like those things, that is not a good dad. A good dad honors and loves and respects his wife, the mother of his children, and treats her, you know, like gold as she does to him. So, so I often ask a few probing questions when people ask me that. And Sometimes he's a really great guy. Sometimes he's a really great guy. And women realize like, I just, I was never in love with him. Mm. Right. And I married him for the wrong reasons. And I'm, you know, when I start working with women, when I work with them privately or in any of my groups, I really, first we've got to do the self-work because, right. It's like, okay, is he a really boring guy or are you just bored? Because of your family history, right? We've got to dig into like, okay, let's look at, talk about your relationship mapping, or you just used to bad boys and, you know, you find that more, the chase more stimulating than, you know, a guy who's actually like really present and loves you. 
Right. And so like, and what is love, right? People are constantly like, but I love him. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. What is love? And what they describe is horrifying. And that's not love, right? Love can sometimes be really boring. Hate to, you know, hate to say it. Yeah. And so if he's a really, if he is a really great guy and you're bored or you just don't feel it like, okay, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. and. Also, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to live a life that fulfills you. And if it's really that like, this is just not the guy for you, like this is really not the relationship for you. It's not the right match. And maybe it's a values misalignment, right? And again, he's a great guy. We just, our values are completely like, we don't enjoy doing any of the same things. That's just a misalignment and it's nobody's fault. And you should live a life that excites you and, you know, lights you up and with somebody that you actually have things in common with. Mm -hmm. Right. And that goes back to this conditioning that we believe women believe that, you know, we have to sacrifice everything for everybody else's happiness. Like it's not good. My unhappiness is not worth, you know, disrupting the lives of my husband and children, but like, really it's not. Yeah. Cause is that what you want for your kids? You know, and that's the thing is that the relationship mapping is real. Most of us got into the relationships that we are in because of some blueprint that we were given down the line, not all, but most. And so if you're repeating a pattern, rest assured, your child will repeat that pattern too, because that's what they're given. This is the model that they're given. This is what marriage is. And is this what you want your children to believe marriage is? And if you think you're hiding shit from your kids, you're not. You're not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm quickly learning how observant they are. And I do remember like graduating high school, there was like this big wave of my friend's parents getting divorced after Mm -hmm. high school because it's like, okay, we're going to wait till the kids are out of the house. Right. Right. And so we're not disrupting anyone in that way, but... But it's just as disrupting, right? Like, and then yeah. you've got, you know, people going off to college for the first time and coming home and not having the bedroom that they had, like when they left or whatever, Yeah, you know, and they've lived 18 years in some kind of ick, you know? Yeah. You know, I think there's always this balance of, okay, relationships are hard. Relationships take work. Relationships aren't always good. Like, how do we navigate that line of... Okay, I'm not always going to be happy, joyful within a marriage, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, I also right. need happiness. You know, do you find a lot of people are kind of rationalizing using that term of relationships or work? Relationships aren't easy. That's right. Yes. And they are work. The question I have is are both people doing the work? Yeah. Right. When you say, hey, I'm unhappy and something's wrong, and I feel like we have to work on it. Does your partner say, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Let's like, of course. Right. Because this is a relationship with two people. And if one person is not happy, the relationship is not working. Or does your partner say, everything's fine for me. I don't know what your problem is. Must be you. You should go to therapy. I don't need to go to therapy. Like that's not how you do relationship. (laughs) Right. Like that's not how you do marriage. If one person isn't happy, the relationship is broken, right? We can fix it. It's not irreparable, but like there's a problem. If one person isn't happy in the relationship, it needs work, like backs of both parties. And this is where, you know, we carry more. This is the emotional labor piece. Oh, I'm not happy in the relationship. So I guess it's my fault. So I guess I'll go to therapy and I'm going to spend all my time in therapy talking about my issues with my spouse who's not doing any of the work. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. A lot of people say like, I'm miserable and depressed in my relationship. And, but my spouse says, it's me. Like, I'm just a depressed person. I'm just miserable in my life. And so the question is like, are you, are you miserable in all aspects of your life? Are you suffering from clinical depression? Do you need to see a doctor about your clinical depression or is living in a relationship that is the relationship making you miserable, making you more and more clinically depressed, right? Yeah. And it's an important exploration. I find that sometimes what I hear too is people will say, 
people will blame themselves and say that they're self-sabotaging a good relationship because they're not happy. And it's like, how can I stop myself from self-sabotaging it? And it's like, maybe it's not self-sabotaging. Maybe you're just kind of seeing things more Maybe you're not happy. Yeah. Maybe you're not happy. Like, you know, yeah, maybe it really is like that boring or, (laughs) you know, and also what is a good relationship? Right. So like we have to, what do you need within a relationship? Like, do you need someone who is more active and social? And like, is that something that you want? Is that just not the person that you're with? Right. Exactly. It's this idea that like, oh, well, opposites attract. It's like, well, maybe they do, but like, do they have a healthy, happy life together? Yeah. You know, I have friends who have wonderful marriages and their spouse is an absolute desperate introvert, like hides in the bedroom when she's having parties. And she is a extrovert who loves to have parties and is very social and all of the things, but they've made it work because neither one of them is trying to get the other person to do things that they don't feel comfortable with. And because they actually have an incredible bond with each other and, you know, her need to be social doesn't just like come between their intimate time together. Yeah. Right. And he's not controlling her and trying and feeling threatened by the amount that she goes out and the stuff that she chooses to do. And he's probably not being an asshole when he is at a social situation and maybe doesn't want to be there, but is showing up for his, his wife. And he's, you know, he's being a good team player. Oh, a hundred percent. We always laugh. Like when Andy shows up at a party, we're always like, whoa, (laughs) Andy's here. And like, and then we feel really honored. Like one day it was my birthday dinner and I walked into the restaurant and Andy was there and I was like, oh my God, I'm so touched because this is not what you love to do. And you came for me. Like, that's so sweet, you know, or like her big birthday bash, like not only was he there, but he got up on the mic and gave a speech. And everybody was like, we know how hard that was for you. You're amazing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, are you willing to stretch yourself beyond your comfort zone to be present for your partner in the way that they need you to be? And are they willing to do the same? You know, I have a chapter in my book called What is Love, right? And it's really about that, like, Are you and your partner willing to stretch yourselves beyond what's comfortable to foster intimacy and growth in the other person, right? That's love. It's not the like butterflies and unicorns and all that shit. It's not, it's not that like excited feeling that you got in the first couple of weeks. That's infatuation. That's lust. It could also be your body recognizing signs of danger because your body doesn't know the difference between like excitement and like anxiety. Yeah. Right. And so those feelings are actually very often anxiety because you're recognizing danger. Interesting. You know, I used to think it was so romantic that when I met my ex-husband, I was physically ill when we were not together, like nauseous. I had like, like almost vomiting. I was so physically ill. And It took me a while to to recognize that like, oh, no, 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 my body, because trauma lives in our body, my body was recognizing danger. And the nausea went away when I was with him because I also thought that he was going to like be the the savior. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, he's going to. And it's like, no, 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 it's not safe. It's not safe. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. So, well, and I think it's one of those things that, yeah, we think about like our ideals list and a partner of what we want, but it's, I think we really often miss the mark on Mm -hmm. how do we want to feel within a relationship and how do we want, you know, if we picture like 15 years down the road, married with kids, like how do we picture that dynamic playing out and how do we want to feel loved within that instead of just. I get it. It's we have this checklist of we want to date, we want to get a ring, we want to get married, we want to have kids. Like we go through this this checklist and then maybe we look up and and we're like, okay, we did all that. Now what? 100%. What do I have to look forward to? Yes, right. Well, I often ask my clients, I'm like, so, okay, is this the person that you want to like be in an empty nest with? Is this the person that you want to walk off into the sunset with? Like when the kids are gone, when you're retired, is this the person you want to spend every day with? Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of my clients, obviously, because they're coming to me are like, oh my God, no. And I'm like, okay, well, right. This isn't just about the, you know, the wedding and the, and the ring and the, the, you know, all the fun stuff. This is also about like, (laughs) there's like, there's a whole lifetime here. There's a whole life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's for who said it, but like, it's not a dress rehearsal. Like, this is mm-hmm. actually your one life that you get. Like, we can't play around with it that much. I do want to ask you for people who are listening to this, and I think it's always good to kind of shine a light on potential roadblocks that people will hit. What are some things that people who decide to move forward with ending a marriage, what are they most likely to experience? Like, will they experience guilt and shame? Will they doubt Mm -hmm. their decision? I think it's always good Mm -hmm. to like shine a light on those things. So they're not like, oh my God, I did something wrong. Oh my gosh. There's so many of those. It's a great question, Kendra, because the first thing that will, you know, the first thing they probably experience will be guilt. I mean, there's often guilt. Sometimes there's like immense relief. And then the guilt kind of comes later or the grief comes later. I hear or they the feel time, guilty that they feel relieved or they feel right. They're <laughs> like, I'm so happy. What's yeah. wrong with me? And I think that one of the things that people are most surprised by, they're like, I wanted this. I wanted this. I couldn't fucking wait to get away from him. Why am I so sad? Why am I crying all the time? Why am, mm. why is this grief so intense? And, you know, my answer to that is because you're a normal human being, like nobody wants this. No, you did not set out wanting this and you, you know, you didn't get married wanting to get divorced. So it's the grieving is normal. It is a hundred percent normal. And, and it's, I think it's important to know that in advance that like, and I was, I was one of those people who was like super relieved and I was having parties and I was like super stoked for my new life. And then like my dreams, it started in my dreams and I was like, what? Why would you think about him? I don't like him anymore. But like, it was relentless until I was my, cause my unconscious was like, hello, you've got some grieving to do girl. And until I was willing and able to allow that, it was haunting, haunting my dreams. 
So that's something important to know. It's important to know that your friends are going to have really weird reactions that like we talked about earlier, that people are not going to show up the way you think they are. And that can be like a whole other piece of grief that you don't even think about. It's important to know that if you are divorcing a heterosexual man, he will get into a relationship really, really fast. Hmm. You will feel replaced. And in many ways, you are being replaced. Your labor is being replaced. Nine times out of Mm. 10, they can't function without us. They can't function without a wife. And so (laughs) when I first got divorced, my ex-husband was like, so since I'm paying you spousal support, does that mean that you are still going to come over and do my laundry (laughs) and like cook my meals? And I was like, are you on crack? (laughs) Like, honey, (laughs) you lost the benefit. You lost the privilege of all of those things. (laughs) This is a direct consequence of your actions. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's hilarious. Yeah. But that's kind of how they function. They're like, well, who's going to be doing all the housework and who's going to be cleaning up after me and who's going to be cooking my meals and who's going to be like taking care of the kids and putting them to bed and giving them baths. Mm hmm. Oh, you wanted 50-50 custody? Uh-huh. So that you didn't have to pay me child support? Mm-hmm. Well, here you go. Now you have 50-50. I'm not doing it. You know, yeah. they freak out. And so very often they find another woman very quickly who sees a man struggling and, you know, trying to be super dad with his kids and all the shit. And like, you know what? <laughs> so it's not you, it's him. And also, if he hasn't done any work on himself to like figure out what went wrong in the first marriage, he's going to repeat all the patterns. Another thing that's really shocking is watching them repartner and be so wonderful to this new person. Yeah, I get that question a lot. Oh, like he was so abusive to me, but now he's treating this other woman like she's gold. Like what? So it must have been me. Yes. Right? Right. And it's not you, it's them. And they were probably just that wonderful to you in the beginning of your relationship. You just forgot. You're comparing the end of your marriage to the beginning of their dating relationship. Mm, There's no comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And guaranteed, it might take 10 years, but guaranteed probably less. He will absolutely treat her the same. If he was abusive, he will because abusers have to abuse. But right now, you're probably still his supply. And so your job in this, while he's treating this other person, you know, so amazingly, your job is actually to remove yourself from the role of victim as much as possible. So set all the boundaries, all of them and stick to them because an unenforced boundary is not a boundary. And eventually he, that other relationship will probably fall apart sooner because he he won't have you know, the target, if you remove yourself as the target, he's going to have to find another one. And Mm, I don't wish anyone that experience, but I would rather the new supply have that experience sooner rather than later. Totally. Before they're like fully roped in. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Don't ever call the new supply and try to tell them about like who he is and they will never believe you. You will reinforce the story that you're crazy (laughs) and all of the things. So yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the like abuse within marriages. Mm -hmm. So I know there's this like kind of topic online of we went through this huge wave of like people are narcissists Mm -hmm. and then it was like, okay, everyone can't be a narcissist. Do you think it's as prevalent as we think it is within marriages or is it more like is there more abuse happening that we don't even realize oh there's way more abuse than we realize way more there is more abuse happening than you would ever want to know unfortunately i hear about a lot of it and you know here's the thing i never set out to become a domestic violence victims advocate i never set out to become an expert in abuse in marriages i actually had to because that's the amount of it that was coming to me, the number, the volume, the sheer volume of women who are experiencing this, I was like, oh my God, I have to go get certified in this. I have to learn more about this because I can't support these women without actually learning more about this because the volume was shocking. 
I do think there are that many narcissists in certainly in the US, in Western culture. That's how we socialize boys. That's how we raise them. We raise them to be entitled. Men are, you know, by and large, are entitled. They think they're entitled to our bodies. They think they're entitled to our labor before anyone like freaks out. Yes, I know not all men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Know this. I know some of them, as I said, I know some incredible men, incredible husbands, right? We know that. And by and large, in heterosexual relationships, there is, and narcissism exists on a spectrum. And it exists from benign, you know, people that really just don't think about other people. Like, I mean, narcissism in general has, they have no capacity for empathy at any point on the spectrum. But, you know, on the lower end, you've got people who are just every single time you say something, they just turn it around about themselves. You got that. Yeah. On the very far other end, you've got narcissistic personality disorder, which is, you know, they say that maybe like one and a half percent of the population has narcissistic personality, but they also recognize that narcissists aren't, they're not going to seek a diagnosis. So it's, you know, often they're diagnosed because they went into treatment for something else, like an addiction or something. Yeah. And then, you know, everything in between is also narcissism. And a lot of that is, you know, people, very often men, trying to get their needs met off of the backs of the labor and the work and the and the confidence and the like, this is why narcissists choose amazing people, right? They don't choose people who suck. They choose people who are awesome because your reflection, they're looking for your reflection onto them. Mm -hmm. So being with you makes them look amazing. Yeah. And so I do think that we raise boys and look, you and I are both raising boys and, you know, I've, mine's 18 and I busted my butt to try to intervene on this, but like, this is the culture we live in. So it's, you know, it's hard. And so, you know, we raise them to be entitled. We raise them to believe that, you know, that they are more important as a species than we are. I know they're not a species. We're all the same species, but you know what I mean? Subspecies, whatever, as a gender. So, and in the, since 2015-ish, 2016, we also learned that this behavior is applauded. It's supported. It's great. Like we celebrate this behavior, yeah. right? I don't, but apparently culturally do. we do. A right? lot of people, unfortunately. A lot of people do. It came out more in the open in 2015, 2016, for reasons I don't need to point out. And reality television to begin with, right? Like it just, this this behavior is celebrated. And so people kind of came out of the woodwork and were like, okay, I don't have to hide this shit anymore. So I think it's more prevalent than we thought, think, want, frankly. Yeah you know, and it's cultural, you know, it's patriarchy. Yeah. So, well, and yeah. even like, I mean, obviously now we know that there are so many different forms of abuse that can happen within a relationship. I think, you know, for a long time, it was just, you know, the battered woman or whatever that looks like, yeah. which is my, I guess my weird hot thing is that I like wind down listening to true crime podcasts, but Oh, we this, all do. I don't know why yeah. we do that, but we all do. <laughs> My husband's like, you're anxious. Like, why are you listening to this? I'm like, I don't know. It, it calms weirdly me calms me down. But the like actual physical violence is still happening so much. And I think we think that it's not. <laughs> We're so wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see it. There's so many. And again, like all. Well, actually, I mean, there's an increase. There's an increase in it. Because, oh. yeah, because especially as the divorce rises, right? So yeah. the most dangerous time for a woman is when she leaves, right? Abusers tend to abuse to the level at which they they need to in order to maintain control. Okay. Once you have said, no more, I'm done, that is the ultimate sort of castration of their power and control over you. And it's the most dangerous time. And this is when your risk of homicide increases 75%. If you've been in a physically violent relationship, the risk of homicide increases 75% when you leave. So it's dangerous. Yeah. And more women are doing it 
and more women are getting murdered. And you're right. It's not the only form of domestic violence, right? Yeah. What's that saying of like a woman's biggest fear is being murdered and a man's biggest fear is Mm -hmm. getting embarrassed. Is being laughed at. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Margaret Atwood said that. Yeah. 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 A man's biggest fear is being laughed at and a woman's biggest fear is being murdered. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So what does that say? So what would you say on this, like, we're trending more towards people walking away from relationships that, that aren't, that aren't serving them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would assume we would believe that this is a positive trend, even though I know a a lot of people will point to like, oh, now we just throw away marriages that, you know, we throw away relationships. We're not working on relationships. Like what are your kind of thoughts on this whole trend? My thoughts are that first of all, like who threw the relationship away? You got married and then you didn't feed the relationship. Yeah. If you don't feed something, it dies. So just because I'm the one who pointed to it and said, well, it's dead, like doesn't make me the one who killed it. And like, we don't work on it anymore. I would say there was a statistic that said that 25% of divorcing couples sought couples therapy. Now, I would hazard to guess, based on my vast experience in this world, that at least 75% of the other, the women have been begging them to, begging their husbands to go to therapy for years. And their husbands are like, I don't need it. I'm fine. You know, you go. And then as soon as their wives say, actually, I'm, I'm done now, they're like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go to therapy. And then we're like, no, I'm I'm literally done. I've been asking you for that lyric. What? You don't want to work on the marriage? Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you know, I mean, I see this over and over and over again. Now he wants to go to therapy. Should I go? I mean, what do you think? Do you feel like you have an ounce of a fuck left to give? I really hope I can curse on your show, Kendra. You can, you can curse on my show. <laughs> I figured, right? Do you have an ounce of a fuck left to give her? Give it a shot, but don't you do all the work. If he wants to go to therapy, he can find the therapist. Mm -hmm. If he wants to figure out how to save a marriage, he can buy the books. Amazon browsing and Googling does not work just for women, y'all. Yeah. So, right? Like, again, like if you're gonna, if you wanna feed it, feed it. So I think- I don't listen. I'm not pro divorce. People are like, you're so pro divorce. I'm not pro divorce. I am pro healthy, happy relationships. And there are a lot of us that are not in them. A lot of us. And I don't think it should be that way. And I think that men are starting to learn. I think, like, look, I hope we're sort of reaching the tipping point at which men are like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that is happening. Yeah. We've been really lazy. We've been really lazy. I think millennials are so great right now. They're like, you know, Gen Z. I'm my kids Gen Z. Like these kids, these boys are amazing. Well, even just looking at the difference in in like parenting involvement with uh-huh. my dad, my father-in-law versus my husband. Like right. my mother-in-law always says like, oh my God, Luke's dad never changed a diaper, you know? And it's like- so crazy to think, you know, and it's like, this is, I mean, obviously a very small drop in the bucket, like as compared to everything that needs to change. But I think seeing, I saw a TikTok the other day about like millennial dads, like really trying to change the tide on that Mm -hmm. with parenting and, and being partners. Yes. It's amazing. You know, unfortunately I'm Gen X. And so my dating pool is really sad. got to start reaching up there soon. I hope so. No, I think it has, right? But I do think that things are shifting. And listen, it's not that women don't want to be partnered. It's not that we don't want to be in relationships. We just don't want it to suck the marrow out of our bones at the same while we're in them. We want our relationships to serve us the way that it serves you, (laughs) right? We want to like, we want to feel loved and respected and cared for and not exhausted. And like poured into, you know, instead of just taken from. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And so people say to me often, they're like, but if I get divorced, what if I'm alone forever? And I'm like, what if you are? What if you are? Right. According to that study, if you are, you're going to be just just a little bit less happy than a married man. 
That's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And also like not so exhausted. Right. Yeah. That's why that's why you're going to be, you know, there's I think there was another study that said 65 percent of divorced women have said that they are not going to get remarried. Right. And so, like, I think that we have to like, I would rather be single than feel like I like I'm everything is an output and there's no nobody's pouring into me. Yeah. Because I can pour into me, but if I'm exactly. pouring into me and then out and then pouring into you and then pouring into me and pouring into you, then like that, <laughs> like I'm always empty. Yeah. I'm pouring into a bucket that has a giant hole in the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not willing to do that anymore. And yeah. I want most women to get to that point where they're not willing to do that anymore. Yeah. And then men have to like step up. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a great distinction that you made. It's like, it's not about being pro-divorce. It's about being showing women that they're, you know, they don't have to live the way that they are. And there are other options. Uh-huh. That's right. Absolutely. So, there are, there are other options and the grass is actually can be greener. <laughs> yeah. And just like, and I was actually going to say this at the, at the top of the episode, but like when you were sharing those statistics on happiness, let's not forget someone who may be listening to this, who has not been married and is single and is like, feels like they were missing out on marriage. The grass isn't always greener on that side either. Usually not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. For women, for yeah. women, you apparently, you know, the least happy. So yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. And I hope everyone goes out today, today, go on to Amazon right now and get the book available. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's available. Yes. It's available everywhere on my website, kateanthony.com slash D word. I have a page about the book, but it also gives people ideas of how to get the book if you do not have your own Amazon account. If you're sharing an Amazon account with somebody, you probably don't need that in your order history. The book is called The D Word, Making the Ultimate Decision About Your Marriage. So it's pretty clear what it's about. So I have some ideas on that webpage and also links from other book retailers that you might be able to buy it from a little bit more surreptitiously. I love that you thought of that. I even- When my book came out, I had a few friends buy it just for support and their, which the breakup workbook and their husbands right. are like, what is this? <laughs> right. So. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, all my friends. I'm like, you need to put a sticky on it that says like, I'm not. Yes. <laughs> I'm buying this Kate's for book. Kate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'll link that page in the show notes below Great. so people can access it super easily. But thank you so much again. Mm-hmm. And it's thank always you. so fun talking to you. I agree. Thank you so much, Kendra, for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.